If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. I got my second COVID booster yesterday, so I'm feeling a little bit under the weather. Uh, Although, as I've said every single time I had a reaction to the COVID vaccine, I have never felt so grateful in my life to be sick. It's a small price to pay for keeping myself and everybody around me safe. In other news, Catherine Mizell is an unqualified hack who literally received an unqualified rating from the American Bar Association. Despite this, or more likely because of it, Donald appointed her to a lifetime appointment on the federal judiciary, and every single Republican in the Senate voted to confirm her. Yesterday, Mizell reversed the CDC's requirement that masks be worn on public transportation. Her reason? Well, according to her, the CDC doesn't have the authority to prevent the spread of the disease called COVID. By the way, CDC literally stands for the Centers for Disease Control. I'm pretty sure that's what Republicans would call legislating from the bench or judicial activism. At least they would if she were a Democrat. But we haven't heard a critical word from any of them. And we won't. The reaction to the lifting of the ban from those on the right has been one of vindication and euphoria, as if a great burden has been lifted and they no longer need to make the incredible and onerous sacrifice of wearing a piece of cloth over their mouths and noses, even when they're crammed into small spaces with other human beings. The fact that some of these people may have compromised immune systems or children who are at high risk doesn't matter to them at all. Think for a second about the monstrous selfishness of these people. Think about the extraordinary sense of entitlement that crave and disregard for anybody but those who think like they think, believe what they believe, and hate what they hate. Behind the false bravado and the sneering contempt, we need to remember that they are weak. Their leaders are weak. And we need to hold a mirror up to them at every possible opportunity. We are stronger, kinder, and better than they are by every metric. We just better start fucking acting like it. There are 204 days left until the 2022 midterms. Welcome back to the Mary Trump Show strategy sessions, where every week my panel and I try to answer this question. How do we ensure that the Democrats win races at every level of government and hold on to or preferably expand our razor thin margins in the House and Senate? Tonight, I'm really excited to be joined by my friends, my Celis brothers, Ben, uh, who's a partner at Garagos, and Garagos, sorry if I'm mispronouncing that, where he focuses on civil litigation and civil rights law. He represents Colin Kaepernick, I know know his name, uh, in his lawsuit against the NFL. Brett, a two-time Emmy award-winning video editor and digital media strategist, and Jordy, a marketing account supervisor uh, based in New York City. All of them are, of course, 
are co-founders of the amazing organization Midas Touch, which produces hard-hitting political ads, as well as their phenomenal podcast. Guys, please forgive my very high fever. I'm so happy you're here. Mary, thank you so much for having us. That intro was pretty good right there. Have you considered a podcast? <laughs> I, I, I'm uh, toying with the idea. Mary, you are the best. We are so excited to be here. Mary is the fourth Micellus sibling, I think, on this show right now. That's what I that's what I love about every time you come on our show. So it's such a pleasure to be here with you today, I got to say. I, I had to tell you, being on your show is one of my favorite things. I just I just click with you guys. I always have. And um, it's always nice when, you know, there's somebody out there doing great work. Um, and then when you meet them, they're exactly like what you think they would be like. Doesn't happen often, but it's, it is absolutely the case with you guys. So, you know, before we jump into it, I just want to thank you for all the work you're doing. Um, because I, I'm assuming you've noticed, uh, there's sort of a lot at stake in the next 204 days. We absolutely do. And uh, we're so grateful to be on the show. We're so grateful to work with you. And it's just continuing the fight each and every day, staying on issue, avoiding distractions, and just connecting with American people. To start conversations, you have to talk with people. And that's what this is all about, talking to Americans about what's at stake. Yeah. um, Ben, to keep, keep on that, it's One of the things that's mystifying, quite frankly, um, as well as infuriating, is the fact that it seems like we have everything on our side, right? Um, And yet, our messages don't get through in the same way messages on the right do. Is it because um, Democrats keep making the mistake of, of, you know, needing nuance and taking a 30-page white paper to... Uh, a bumper sticker fight, or is it because people, and I don't mean most people, because that's not the case, and we'll get to why this matters later, but is it because a lot, too many people um, really like what the Republicans are selling, which is hate, uh, anger, and fear? I think it's, I'll take it in reverse order. I think it's easy to sell hate, to sell fear, and to sell division. You know, any, you know, trickster can do that. Uh, But at the same time, you know, we do see that messages of hope will resonate. You know, James Carville once famously said, if you want to see how Democratic strategists do things, it's just conference call, another conference call, a conference call for the conference call. And by the time they're done with the conference calls, the issues have already passed. And so what the Democrat strategists have to do, because we have the issues, because we're good on jobs because we're good on the economy, because we're good on health care, because we're good on Social Security and the Republicans want to take away these things and destroy it. I just don't hear Democrats out there loud and proud talking about these issues directly to people each and every day. Now, there's a broader issue where I think the media systemically has let people down. And so what you're building here, what we're trying to build is media that counters the feckless media that exists, but these messages that you're talking about every day that Midas is, these messages are connecting. And so, you know, democratic strategists need to just keep on pounding these issues each and every day, and they have to do it. 
it kind of stopped, you know, the Malcolm Nan stopped talking about it and do it, you know, and actually go out there and talk, you know, and, and get these things done. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And Brett, though, um, as as Ben just mentioned, uh, Democrats have one hand tied behind their back because of the media, which um, it, it's breathtaking to me, either that they learned nothing in the last five years or they literally don't care about journalism anymore, and it's all about clicks. Um, but we also have another hand tied behind our backs, which is just how the United States government is structured. Um, but more to the point of what we're talking about right now, and I know the Democrats don't have three hands, so <laughs> something else tied behind their back, it, because we live in a time where information is so siloed, right? You guys have been at this for a long time now. At least it seems like a long time in COVID years. Um, how do we break through? Because I don't think it's enough to keep talking to our people. Yeah, well, I think the thing that I think the reason why we had success when we started Midas Touch in March 2020, which was the beginning of the pandemic, was because we filled the void that was there, which is that there was no one really out there doing kind of unapologetically pro-democracy content, calling things out for exactly what it was, and speaking to people like they're people and not like they're test subjects in some sort of poll-tested, sanitized room. You know, we were like, this is how I feel about issue A, B, and C. So I'm going to voice that issue. And, you know, you talk about the clicks of the media and stuff. I'll, I'll say that was probably uh, the quickest New Year's resolution that I broke in the beginning of the year was saying, you know what, maybe I should be a little easier on the media right now and not, <laughs> not be so critical. And then by day two, I was like, these <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, okay, no, it's Swearing dangerous. Swearing is perfectly allowed. <laughs> is so it allowed? Okay, good. Fuckers. So, but, but I think we need to call that out and be loud about it as well, because I think actually, you know, everybody thinks of this as the liberal media, the liberal media. You've had, How many times have you heard right-wingers refer to it as the liberal media? It couldn't be further from the truth. I think they're a corporate media, and I think they're chasing ratings, and like you said, they're chasing clicks, and so... We need to, A, acknowledge that, A, fire back at that and call it out for what it is. And also, we need to sort of play on that landscape, unfortunately. And if people want clicks, we got to give them clicks. We got to make the content that's going to inspire people. We need to make the content that is going to be the most viral, that's going to be the most shareable. We need to have the podcasts that are topping the podcast charts, like the Mary Trump show. You know, we need to burst that bubble. And I think that media bubble of getting through and letting people know this is the content that you want to be consuming, I think that might even be more important important than anything else out there, making it kind of cool for people to want to share this stuff. And I think perhaps one of the best examples of it is what we saw today by that state senator in Michigan yes. who spoke from the heart on the floor, captivated everybody. That video at the time that we are taping this has something like 3 million views. Yeah. And I think it's that sort of direct messaging where you're speaking to people. That's where you break through the bullshit of groomer this, groomer that, and just call it out for what it is and show the humanity behind it, you know? Yeah. And, and being willing as, as somebody who is um, in privileged classes, you know, she said she's a straight, white, married, suburban mom. We need allies like her mm -hmm. to address the egregious treatment of other, um, you know, less fortunate uh, people in the minority, which is what she did specifically in the issue of the horrific assault on um, LGBTQ people. 
So the, and also I just want to say that the other problem with the media is they've seen a lot of them, <clears throat> Chuck Todd, seem to have bought into the same bullshit that it's, you know, liberal media and they need to bend over backwards to avoid, uh, okay, Jordy, are you? <laughs> no, thank you. Thank Jordy's you. fired up. Jordy's angry. I no, see that. So right. I mean, they, I'm so sorry to interrupt. You're just no. so right. It's like the media is so conscientious about calling balls and strikes that they forget they're even playing baseball. Like it, it goes beyond where when you don't see, for example, Mike Lee's text covered on MSNBC's program or CNN's programming or, or any of the mainstream programming of Sunday morning. What's going on? What are we what are we missing out? Because that stuff is real and that needs to be getting to the American people. And that's what we try and do on the Minus Touch podcast is make sure those issues that get missed, along with everything else that you need to know. That's what we put on our network. And I know you do you, Mary. So thank you. Yeah, it, well, it I it. It's going to take all of us because we don't have MSNBC or CNN, which is worse, and Fox, which is much worse. Um, so, you know, in addition to speaking truth to power, um, we have to sort of build our own platforms, uh, which, given the fact that we have 204 days, uh, <laughs> seems like it's going to have to be a, a group effort. Um, but, Jordy, what do you think is... Um, the best strategy in terms of going after voters. I Just to frame this, I think that anybody who voted for Donald in 2016 and 2020 is not worth the time, giving the time of day. So uh, I, if you disagree, let me know. Um, but then in terms of the rest of people, are we, um, are we fighting a multi- front war, we need to go after Dems who might be disaffected, independents, whatever that means anymore, people who don't vote, people who aren't thinking of voting. What? What's the, uh, where are we going with that? First off, I just have to say, I love being on your show so much because you actually let me have a chance to speak versus the ongoing bit that we do on our show when our brothers, my brothers just interrupt me every second. So this is just wonderful. So well, again, thank first you. First, I like the slip. You said our brothers. That makes me feel like I'm the fourth <laughs> of my fellows. There you go. See, so it was. Uh, and don't worry, you're going to have the last word. Oh, like, fantastic! Right. Quit, quit, uh, quit filibustering, Jordy. Quit filibustering. <laughs> no, but 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 I think you bring up a great point, right? We always talk about polls. Now, polls are silly and indicative of whatever who's reporting the poll wants it to tell you. But we always notice there's this 31%, 29% of the country that whatever the Democrats do, it could be the best thing ever. Mm -hmm. They hate, despise, no, no yep. against, negative. And so it's like, to your point, you're not going to be able to reach that 2016, 2020 specific Trump voter because we know what they stand for. And at right. the end of the day, it's not democratic values. So you have better uh, time, you have better uh, ways to spend your resources, and you have better just conduits to get your message out there than trying to break through to those people. Speak to the rest of the country because that 70%, once they come out, will win big. Unfortunately, though, Ben, <laughs> for reasons that continue to mystify me, and I know the media definitely has uh, plays a role in this, but this has been going on for a really long time. Um, Americans seem only to be able to think about issues in the moment. So inflation is high. COVID's still a thing. It's all Biden's fault when nothing could be further from the truth. So how do we combat that? Um, I don't know, you know, is it because of social media and people don't have 
attention spans anymore? Um, is it because they're being manipulated to think that the only things that matter are, you know, inflation and not having to wear a mask? It feels, it, it makes me a little crazy, honestly, because nobody seems to be able to connect what happened in, you know, the last four years with what's happening now. And like the way I like to put it is, People treat the Biden administration as if it's a normal administration that followed another normal administration. What do we do Not about true. that? Yeah, I mean, what Beto O'Rourke did when he called out Greg Abbott and said, Greg Abbott's causing inflation. I don't really see Democrats, though, saying as simple as that. OK, you know why there's inflation? There's inflation because of Donald Trump. Donald Trump caused inflation with his wayward trade policies, you know, with his fiscal policies. That's the reason that we have inflation right now. You know, the reason that we have COVID, you know, the, the way COVID's still not being handled appropriately is because of what took place during the Trump administration, you know, and, and the lies that they spread. I mean, you have to call it out directly. And what are the issues immediately? The Republicans try to scare people with things that are, you know, the fake boogeyman. But the real boogeyman that exists is that Republicans want to take away your social mm -hmm. security. I mean, right. Democrats just need to say it. they will take it used to be called the third rail of politics. But I rarely hear Democrats consistently saying Republicans will take away your Social Security, that Republicans have stated they will increase your taxes. That is their policy. Not only do they want the tax cuts for the rich, they are going to affirmatively increase your taxes. Health care. Republicans want to take away your health care. That is their policy. And in states led by Republican governors, they're not even allowing the health care to be distributed through federal programs. Thus, they're trying to kill you. They're trying to kill you. So we don't have to overthink it the way I just messaged it. They're trying to kill you. They're trying to take away your Social Security. They're trying to raise your taxes. And here is what we are doing. We're focused on jobs. We're focused on building careers with the union. Here's a fact that totally went unnoticed where I was just reading about it yesterday. As part of Biden's student loan programs, he forgave um, the default of loans on students. So if you defaulted on your loan, that gets wiped away. He just gave 7 million students who may have defaulted a second chance. And that's like buried in the document is that. Buried in the document, that is such a massive thing. And I don't even hear people talking about it. And we had Mike Monroe, who's the NAB2 chief of staff, the building trade unions, which partners with AFL-CIO. Biden spoke there. No one calls you know him to speak other than shows like yours and, and ours to have people like that. When people like that speak plainly to the American people about jobs, health care, social security, and taxes, it resonates. It always goes viral because this is actually what Americans want to hear. And so we need to be one on the offensive in terms of rebutting disinfo, but also we just got to be tight with the messaging and getting yep. those things out every single day, you know, day in, day out. Yeah. And, and to me, one of the, the biggest uh, faults I would uh, point out is that um even Democrats sometimes, instead of saying 100% of Republicans are against this, they focus on Mansion and Cinema. What they should be saying is 96% of Democrats in the Senate, and sometimes 100% of them in the House, 
are on the same page and they want to help the American people. But, you know, it, it ends up being it ends up sounding like it's all the Democrats fault when it's 100 percent the Republicans fault. But, Brett, you know, I have a policy of not criticizing the Biden administration or Democrats on policy because I just think imagine how horrific things would be if. Uh, the election had been stolen from Biden, which still may happen, by the way. But anyway, it didn't yet. Um, however, we're here talking about strategy, and I do think it is important to point out what they're not doing, what they're doing wrong, what they should doing, not not to be mean to them or make it seem like um, you know they're bad, but as sort of constructive criticism. And as a way to help them understand what is at stake, which a lot of elected Democrats don't seem to do, which is in great, which is bizarre to me. But it does seem that Democrats are really good at missing opportunities or, um, you know, uh, grabbing defeat from the jaws of victory. For example, um, Ben talked about Bader Rourke and, and Abbott and what he did at the border, which I don't know. Like that is he how is that not breaking the law? Hundreds of millions of dollars worth of goods were destroyed because of his, um, uh, you know, his I don't even know what to to call it. Um, And by the way, at the same time, he kidnapped a busload of people and across state borders. So, like, why why do you think it is that Democrats aren't capitalizing on those things? What can they do? Uh, to get better at that. I think Democrats are often a little too high-minded. I actually think that the Biden administration has overall done a very good job at stuff like this. And I th- I think probably more so than even Democrats, you know, as a whole, I think they've done a pretty effective job. And I think Biden, given the circumstances, has also like been one of the greatest presidents ever with the way he's been able to turn around the country. And I don't think he gets enough credit because it's, like you said before, people don't remember how bad things were two years ago when you went to the store and they were out of everything. When you went to the store and it looked like a zombie apocalypse movie with people running to get the last thing of toilet paper, if it was even there, if there was even a carton of eggs there. The fear that we all had every single day with COVID and us not having any information from the White House about this disease as it raged through the country. Like, like it's so hard for people to think about what it was like then and where we are now. And I think we need to acknowledge those accomplishments. But I think At the same time, to your point, I think we do need to take some of the good things now, you know, I don't want to get myself in trouble here, but some of the good things from these stunts that the Republicans pull, you know, like there's a reason why Greg Abbott does his assholish performative antics, right? There's a reason that DeSantis does his bullshit every day and brings out the kids and has the police behind him and goes to war with Disney and does whatever he does. I'm not saying we should do those stupid things things politically speaking, but I think they understand that you have to put on a show to get the cameras there and you need to be loud to get the cameras there. When you have the cameras there, you own the messaging. And that could even be, you know, even if people are criticizing you, people are still talking about you. And what tends to happen in that case with like a DeSantis type is the people who love DeSantis, whenever they see him do something, the worse it is. And I'm sure you saw, you saw this with your uncle too. The worse, the worse he got, the more those people, the diehards dug in and loved him for it. And I think there's a nuanced way to do that 
where you see a moment like a Greg Abbott doing what he's doing on the border and you call it out and you go the next step. Maybe you file a lawsuit. You know, maybe you 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 actually call him out directly and you do something about that, right? Like there are these moments in time when you could take control of the messaging or you could let it pass because you could say, ah, oh, it's just a news cycle, you know, we'll we'll let it be. But I'm a big proponent of taking control of the narrative and owning it for yourself. And I think the mistake that we've made for far too long is letting ourselves be attacked from every single angle on every topic, no matter how outrageous or bullshit, and writing it off as, you know what, they're being crazy. Everyone knows they're crazy. They're playing to a little base. Who cares? Because what that ha- what happens is over time is you know, that gets pounded into people's heads day in and day out. And you could take the, you know, the example, because we were speaking about the Michigan uh, state senator today about, you know, calling everyone who tries to support LGBTQ rights a pedophile or a groomer and speak out against that bigotry and silence those voices, ironically canceling those voices who are speaking out against bigotry. But they hammered that day in, day out. Day in, day out. Groomer, groomer, groomer. They made T-shirts. They had banners. They had email. Everything you right, could I imagine. Have you, I have one for you that you got me started. What if you took the dead produce and you literally, like, you know, it's a stunt. You take the dead produce. Yeah. You go to the Capitol. You you pick a pile of dead produce. You put a big sign behind it that says $250 million. And then you do a press conference in front of dead produce. What if when yeah. This could have fed Carlson X number of people, right? The, yeah. Yeah, and, and I think what you're building towards, and I think what you're building towards there too, Ben, is that I think what you're building towards there too, Ben, is that there needs to be some sort of showmanship from Democrats all around. We got to be loud and proud to support democracy, and not be ashamed by it. Like you know, just by way of example, Mary, I, I'm sure not to make any assumptions here, but it would be very easy for you to sit in a very comfortable lifestyle, never have to get out of a bubble, and and, and do what you're doing now to fight for this country. And same with us as the, as brothers. I know I grew up with a lot of people who are diehard Trumpers now, who are diehard Donald Trumpers now. And it's like, man, what did they miss along the way? Or what did I see along the way? Because at one point we were friends, but it's gone but it's such into like a weird sense of uh, neuroticism that like you can't even break them out of that bubble. It was what I was talking to earlier um, about not even talking to those or trying to engage, but really put all your passion and energy to that 70% of the country who you can reach. It's just wild to see. And here's the thing. Sorry. if No, no, go ahead, Brett. I I think so much of our cultural landscape right now, for better or for worse, and I might argue for worse, is shaped by the internet and is shaped by, you know, getting these viral moments out there. And I think that's been so underestimated for so many years. I think it was underestimated in 2016. I think it was underestimated in 2020. I think even after the election, we saw a lot of the mainstream media start attacking people who succeeded on the internet where they failed. And I think that that's a problem to underestimate that because I think what happens is I think these things percolate on the internet. Think even like QAnon. Think, you know, all the stuff that's happening on 4chan, all these crazy message boards that they have. They kind of start there and then they make their way into the real world. And then it's conversations at the soccer game, conversations at the grocery store. Next thing you know, you have a bunch of crazy people in front of Disney World with signs protesting. And that's the image. And you have people getting harassed and you have people getting hurt. And if you don't on some level decide, you know what, I'm going to get in that ring 
and I am going to actually show up and participate in this fight, you're going to get knocked out before you even start because you're not even playing. You're just forfeiting it. You're just throwing the flag. So I think it's so important for us to understand the power of that and the power of getting in these moments. And Ben, that was Honestly, that produce idea is a brilliant idea that they should be doing. And we should be doing that with every single thing. Turn every single stunt around them and own the narrative. So we're not just reacting. So we're not just being reactive, but we're being proactive about it. I think that's right. And 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 to your point about you know, Disney, you've got a sitting senator who, by the way, is also a seditionist and should be in prison, uh perpetuating that bullshit that what did he say? It was so grotesque that Mickey and Pluto or some are like going to be going at it. I mean, the Ted Cruz is just so despicable. So when a sitting senator, though, regardless of what a traitor is, because obviously people who vote for him don't think he is, are, you know, using that kind of language. And then, Ben, the Democrats aren't pushing back. You know, you talk about the is it really a stunt, though? I mean, I I think you're you're de- you're you are showing people what how destructive somebody like Greg Abbott is. You you have um, Democrats in the House not using every means at their disposal. You know, uh, the Republicans, you could say rightfully so, uh, put together a hearing to look into what happened with Benghazi. But it wasn't a fact-finding mission. It was a blaming mission. And they had targets in mind, and it became an absurdity. Democrats, on the other hand, have absolutely righteous battles. So why aren't there hearings? Why? I mean, you look at um, uh, somebody in Georgia is uh, suing to get, uh, what's her name, off the ballot. Marjorie, yeah. Uh, I hate saying her name. Sorry. sorry. <laughs> Even though she is, she is. She What's is her name was a perfect party. summation of her name. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Ben, I mean, that's a private citizen. Why aren't people doing that with Cruz and Hawley and every single Republican in, in the house? And why aren't Democrats using the power they actually do have right now? Well, I, I agree. And they need to, and I'll give you an example, uh, reproductive rights. We know that Republicans want to ban contraception. Um, and we know that they want to overturn Roe v. Wade. In fact, the radical right extremist Supreme Court, and words matter, the way we frame things. Mm-hmm. So I don't call right-wingers conservative because there's I nothing conservative about them. And exactly. So anytime someone in my world says a conservative this, I go, don't call them that. Call them a radical right extremist. Exactly. Do not give them the benefit of that title. But we know the radical right extremist court um, is either going to overturn Roe v. Wade or in Dobbs versus Mississippi, uphold the 15-week ban on abortions. Um, and little is being messaged about that. What took place in Texas, where the lady who took abortion pills was arrested um, for murder, um, that is what's going to happen in every single state. When we did a video at Midas Touch, the video was um, a mother and her daughter were crossing the border, and a border agent takes her out of the car, arrests the daughter, and we said, this is going to be America. We did that during the election. A lot of even Democrats were saying, oh, you're going to scare people with that ad. That's not really what's going to happen. And that ad is exactly what's going to happen. And so what we need to be talking about, too, is one, um, we need to be talking about reproductive rights. We need to be talking about abortion health care. We need to be talking about that. That's an issue 
that is a, a politically important issue, but it's a profoundly important human issue, and Democrats should not be afraid to talk about it. Democrats buy in sometimes to that radical right, you know, anti-abortion framing, and we're afraid to talk about it. No, you know, families across the country know this issue. They don't want their daughters and other childbearing persons in their family to be arrested for murder for seeking health care. And that's what's going to happen. And we need to make that clear and start talking about that now and saying Supreme Court's going to rule on this in May or June and make that a fundamental issue. So that's just an example of how I would be advising Democrats. Focus on this issue. Yeah. Uh, and and Brett, there are so many other instances um, in which there are opportunities to do that. For example, we have two generations of women who have never had to consider the fact that they don't have access to a legal abortion. Um, so they don't know what it means if that right is taken away. And it, it always seems, though, that Democrats pull punches. We have Republicans calling us pedophiles, calling us groomers, calling us communist, Marxist, Leninist, socialists, and they don't even know what any of those things mean. And yet, you know, there are lots of people in the Republican um, machine who have indeed been accused of pedophilia. Mm -hmm. um, there are many, many instances in which Republicans have done exactly what they are claiming we did. They co-opt our language in a way that undermines us. And it seems like we haven't found a, an effective way to fight back. And sometimes I think that it's um, the Democrats like still believe in collegiality, that their mm -hmm. relationships with these people they've known for decades um, are really what matters and that everything else is window. They don't really mean it when... You know, they call us pedophiles or whatever. But we've seen what happens when we don't fight back. We saw that in Virginia when uh, friggin' Yunkin, who is a fascist, did, the, did that racist campaigning around critical race theory and McAuliffe's campaign was like, yeah, you know, nobody's going to, that's not important. If we fight back, we're going to bring attention to it. So the question now is, why, um, how do we, can, not, not elected Democrats, because I don't know what kind of power we have, probably zero. How do we help Democratic voters understand that um, it's okay to be angry, it's okay to be afraid, uh, and that those things should motivate us because everything is at stake. And you know what? Unity is impossible right now. Yeah. 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 I think at this point, I mean, we need to play to win. We need to play for keeps at this point. I mean, that's the name of the game, because if we lose, guess what? You know, women's rights, the rights of all childbearing persons, uh, the assault on LGBTQ rights, all that goes out the window. Gay marriage done. Like all this stuff is potentially done if we lose. So we need to play for keeps right now. And, you know, why is not everybody doing it? I don't know. But what can we do? What we try to say often is that every person out there, whether you have a podcast, whether you're a listener of a podcast, whether you have a Twitter account with 
two followers or two million followers. You all have a voice. You all have a network of people. And politics really, at the end of the day, is about those conversations at a local level. So what we experienced during the election was we would tell people, you know what we want you to do? Here's your homework for the day, basically. We want you to tell five people close to you why this election is important and why they should be voting and make sure that they're registered to vote. Have those conversations. You don't have to be annoying about it. You don't have to, you know, nag them or whatever, but go over to them and just have a discussion and say, hey, did you see what X, Y, and Z is doing? Did you see that so-and-so was arrested for this? Did you see that so-and-so wants to take away your health care? Just have these conversations with people because that power is far more powerful than them seeing it from a third party. Second, I got to say, Democrats in general need to stop with the purity tests and stop attacking one another for every little thing. And we've seen this when we speak out about certain things on our podcasts and stuff. You might have some people who'd be like, you know what? I agree with you on 97% of everything, but your stance on that is unforgivable and I am not listening anymore and I'm not voting. And I'm like, okay, uh, all right. Do you think that's a winning attitude right now? Do you think you're going to agree with a human being 100% of the time? Because if you only are, you guys, exactly, <laughs> only you, Mary. If you're and if you find yourself agreeing with somebody, I encourage you to get out of your bubble and talk to somebody <laughs> right. and get some diverse perspectives because because that's unhealthy. And so it's boring too. And it's boring. Yes. Yeah, you should. And we should be able to have debates, and we should be able to have you know very vibrant policy debates about everything, but they, but we need to get to a point where we're able to do that. And then we could hash things out about, Hey, what's the best way to handle student debt? What's the best, you know, actual way to get healthcare coverage to all Americans. Like we could hash that stuff out, but we got to win to get there. And you also got to understand, like you said, when you have 98% of Democrats out there voting in your interests and you have two stragglers who aren't, that's not the Democrats are not delivering for me. That's those two corporate Democrats are not delivering for me. And then I'll turn it on you. You know, the responsibility is also on you and it's on us to give the Democrats the tools to do everything that we want them to do. Imagine if we had 60 senators, just look at the legislation we've been able to pass in the house. Mm -hmm. We've been able to pass, you know, the freedom to vote act, the John Lewis voting rights act. We've been able to pass the pro act. We've been able to pass the violence against women's act before they had to put it in another piece of legislation in order to actually get passed, which is insane because it was always an incredibly bipartisan piece of legislation. But all that stuff that we passed in the house, easy, capping insulin at $35. All that stuff could be legislation right now if we gave the Democrats the tools to do it. And before somebody comes at me for, oh, but the gerrymandering this, the gerrymandering that, these Senate races are statewide races. So it's purely about you getting your butt off the couch and going to vote. Mm -hmm. And there, there truly are more of us than there are of them. We have the numbers, even in places like Texas. We have the numbers. It's just that these numbers have been so suppressed either by disinformation or by tactics at the polls that there are some people who don't even think it's worth it because they think their voice is not being heard. And I get that and I empathize with that. But that's why we all need to do our part. And our part is getting our butts off the couch. It's making sure that you vote in every election. And that's whether it's dog catcher, school board or president, you get out there and you show up because that's the one way to stop it. And I'm actually... You know, I, I actually, you know, feel good about the future of the Democratic Party if we could do that, because I do think there are a lot of people who have had enough with this fascist right. And I think they are going 
too far with it on that side. And I think most sane Americans don't want to live in that world. It's just a matter of, are we going to show up and do something about it? Are we going to keep twiddling our thumbs on Twitter and start yelling at each other over (laughs) the fact that not every single thing that we wanted is getting done in the first 18 months? Yeah, it would also help if the Senate were a democracy, but yeah. Yep, that would help. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Jordy, you know, the other big difference, it seems, um, between Republicans and Democrats uh, which is a problem exacerbated by the way the media uh, acts as if the Republican base and the Democratic base are somehow equivalent when the Republican base is a bunch of fascist, white supremacist, misogynist, anti and on and on and on. Yeah. And the Democratic base is, you know, people of color, educated people, Who young want people. Yeah. Um, <laughs> is that, you know, the the... Republicans completely cave to their base. And we've seen this since the Tea Party, right? Mm-hmm. Republican leadership thinks they can, you know, harness the monster, use it to their own ends, and then they get taken over. And then that keeps happening. So now, you know, so the Tea Party took over and now the fascists have taken over. The Democrats, on the other hand, don't seem to give its base the same level of power and respect. And again, the the Democratic base is made up of people who, particularly Black women, who have um, who are almost solely responsible for getting Joe Biden elected. Um, who are instrumental yeah. in election after election. And they, along with other people of color, along with other Democratic voters, literally just want things to be better for everybody, even those people who hate us and don't want us to have any rights at all. So where's it, what do we do about that disconnect? Like, I've never been able to understand that one. No, it's a, it's a scary thought because you're exactly right. On one side, you have a party that's full of fascists, literally fascists. They've created the monster, as you say, that even now they can't they can't control this monster anymore. We'll never get back to the. I'm, I think I, they are the monster. I, they oh, they are the monster, and we'll never have a civil you know policy debate anymore. It's just it's just not going to happen. I don't even think they'll debate when in the midterms or or in the next gen. I they've don't already said they won't. They've already said they won't, and I bet they stick to that. So I, I actually want to nudge here all the mainstream medias, like keep the debate platforms up there. And if Republicans don't want to show, just let the Democratic candidates speak their Absolutely. mind. You you have to. Don't pull that platform just because you don't think that other person's going to show. Uh, but anyway, like you said, Republicans, fascist party. There's nothing you could do about that. Democrats, to your point, too, we're a big tent party. So there's a lot of different you know things that people want or, you know, frankly, demand that are, are, are given to them through their vote because that's what they want to push forward. Now, that legislation, unfortunately, is not always going to align with what the administration really wants to push forward. And I just think there's also a sense of pragmatic um, dem, uh, pragmatic, prag, hmm, pragmatic progressivism, as we sort of call it here, as we sort of think about ourselves. We want to make sure that we are doing everything we can to invite and, and fight for all the communities out there. Right. But at a certain point, you have to pick and choose your battles, because otherwise, if you don't, unfortunately, you're not going to win any of them. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think in this, especially in these midterms coming up, um, you know, where traditionally 
the party in power gets gets taken to the cleaners. Um, what did they call it in 2010? Uh, it was a shellacking. Um, but again, this is not a normal year. Mm-hmm. And that was what one of the things that drove me crazy about how the uh, Virginia gubernatorial race was presented. This isn't a normal, you know, it's not a normal election. Um, and we need to help people understand that. But Ben, I think one of one of the huge uh, hurdles we have, but at the same time, perhaps one of the major opportunities we have is to help people understand that w- one of the reasons we're where we are is because we've been allowed to take democracy for granted and maybe help people start to think about what democracy really is, what it means to them and what their relationship to it is. That's why we framed kind of what we stand for as pro-democracy. And we used to identify as progressive or liberal because if you look at the issues, we are progressive and we favor those policies. But I found that that framing is a framing that's kind of been created over time and that's used as wedges versus ways to bring people together. And so what I like to say to people is I'm not a Democrat because I love the donkey logo that I think the Democratic Democratic brand is cool. The same way, you know, I grew up a Democrat, like the same way I grew up a, you know, a New York Knicks fan or I'm a Clippers fan because I'm in L.A. or a Lakers. It's very different. I'm a Democrat because they're not telling me to inject bleach into my arm and that they're fighting to give me health care. I'm a Democrat because they're fighting for workers. They're fighting for 99.999% of Americans, and they're not just looking out for the 0.01% of it. That's why, and if the Democrats reversed course, I'd be something else. And so to me, I came into this process as a very apolitical person until politics literally tried to kill me and my brothers with Donald Trump and, and literally came to kill my family. And so because politics try to kill my family, I got involved in this and grew this thing and started learning about it and educating myself and seeing what's wrong with it. But we're, it's like all of a sudden it's like people view, okay, well, you guys are, you know, are political people. We're really not like this, but we were never political people until two years ago, but we've been able to kind of rethink through these issues. And if we could do it, I promise everybody who's watching it, Everybody who's listening it can do it too because we don't have, there was no secret other than we started with one follower to 10, you know, and grew this to millions across the platforms just by speaking from the heart and speaking directly and being very passionate about it. And that's, and what you're doing, what we're doing, we have to one, speak passionately, but two, we have to address the systemic malpractice of the media because that aspect needs to be fixed. The way we've had this intelligent conversation today, you know, if most Americans would see this, regardless of political party, I think they would say, oh, healthcare, jobs, you know, I care about my family members. I don't want, you know, my daughter or someone else in my family to be arrested. You know, I don't want the government. What's this Mickey Mouse business? But that's not the way it's being presented. You have Fox injecting fascism into the veins. You have everything else, as I say it on the Midas Touch podcast. It's like two chihuahuas talking to each other, and it's, and then you don't know what even you don't know what 
Can you do that again? All right, we're going to have to. Yeah, we're going to have to pull that. Yeah, pull that clip. By the time you finish watching a segment, you don't know what the issue is. Even What are we talking about? The framework yep. is wrong. The mm-hmm. framework needs to be rethought. And I'm telling you, we could win this in 2022. And I say we, people who truly love America, people who truly mm-hmm. love democracy, that's who's going to win it. I, I, you know, that's why we're here, right? Um, I think anybody who says right now that it's over, it's hopeless, I don't want to know you <laughs> because you're not helping and you're part of the problem. We have, yeah. we, we need to fight every day and we need to believe um, that, you know, as you said, there are more of us than there are of them, that we actually have um, a plan to make everybody's lives better. But Brett, I, I worry a lot that sometimes we're just kind of preaching to the choir. You know, like when I'm on MSNBC, I'm on Joy Reid, I'm on Lawrence O'Donnell. You know, I mean, nobody watching those shows is somebody who totally disagrees with anything I have to say. Um, and same thing, like when I was on CNN once in a while, it was always people who were very open to to my point of view. But I feel like we need to break beyond, you know, get beyond that. Um, what What do you think is a way that we can do that. Um, You know, because like you guys and I, we're not getting on Fox. We're not getting on OAN. Not that we would want to be, but you know what I'm saying. And there's some CNN shows like we wouldn't even want to be on because like Ben just said, it's just this mass confusion and people screaming over each other. And by the way, CNN just hired, um, what's his name? So what's his name? Mark Meadows? No. The other guy. I don't know if I'm allowed to answer anymore. Mick Mulvaney. <laughs> what? Oh, uh, no, CBS. CBS. Oh, yeah. sorry. Which no. is even somehow uh, yeah. worse. It right? is worse. It is worse <laughs> because they are like supposed to be what? Like CBS is like where the average American goes for news. It's always right. been there. You could turn it that, on. And- that Walter Cronkite's jump. I mean, it's just, oh, God. Mm. Well, you know, what I've realized is that I, I feel like the right doesn't worry about preaching to the choir ever. I think they are all team preach to the choir. I, I don't think they're like, maybe I shouldn't go on Tucker Carlson show tonight. Maybe I shouldn't go on Sean Hannity show tonight because I'll just be preaching to my base. I think they appreciate yeah. that they have a strong base and a strong choir and yeah. that they need to be speaking to the choir. I think it actually does relate a little bit to your previous question, I believe, to Jordy, where you said, you know, are Democrats delivering for the base enough? You know, we have a lot of these people in our base and are they being talked to? And I think when you do go on a joy read and shows like that, I actually think it is helpful for that. And I think it does build excitement. And I think in general, when you preach to the choir, I think it's viewed often as a negative thing. And I understand that. But I think especially, you know, when it comes to like a midterm election or something like that, the whole goal is to get your choir to be singing as loud as possible and to be singing bigger than the other choir, because ultimately that's how you're going to win, because a lot of these elections are base elections in these midterm years. So I think I think first, I think, you know, let's not discount the power of speaking to our people, of speaking to the people who want to hear us. Because I believe that their voices, like I said earlier, can be exponential. And when you have a choir, what do choirs do? 
choirs go out and they start preaching to other people. They start right. singing to other people. And then next thing you know, they're bringing people into the choir and you've got a whole big team. And so I think that's actually an important aspect. Beyond that, I think where it's appropriate, I think we need the right messengers. And I say that specifically, we need the right people to go on into this sort of for lack of a better word, enemy territory. I think Pete Buttigieg, for example, has mm -hmm. been a fantastic at this, going on yeah. Fox News and things like that and getting the message across. I think there are some people who are terrible at it and they are brought on specifically to go on Tucker Carlson's show or whoever it is, literally to look like the liberal idiot who doesn't know what they're talking about. So right. I think there's a thin line and I think it could actually backfire and be dangerous if you are not careful with how you approach that. But that's why when we run ads, for the most part on TV and whatnot, we're usually trying to air them on those local news channels, the CBS, the local NBC affiliate, the local Fox affiliate, the local ABC affiliate, because that's where I think the average persuasive, persuadable voter is actually watching their TV and getting their information kind of on the daily basis. So that's why we always find, even though it's not as exciting, not as sexy, perhaps, like let's get on those local stations because that's where people are getting their local news who care about the local issues and things like that. Um, I'll give you another example of us going kind of to the extreme version of this that we did during the Georgia elections is we ran an ad on Newsmax, um, which was the first time we ever did that. And the story is actually a little interesting because we tried, uh, let me give you the context of the ad first. It was Lynn Wood, while they were <laughs> disputing the results of the election, mm -hmm. telling everybody not to vote for Kelly Leffler and David Perdue, you know? And so I was like, beautiful. This is amazing. And so we cut a very simple <laughs> ad. By the way, no one knows we've done this. This is an exclusive. Brett's telling you for the first time we've kept this, I think, pretty secret. Oh, I'm, I'm breaking news. That's very exciting. Yeah, we did not publicize this, that we went ahead and did this. Anyone who saw the ad knows we did this. And it was posted online as more of like a who did this sort of thing. We did it. Our label was on it, if you look back at that ad. And so it was... You know, him going, Kelly Laughter, you know, David Perdue, they don't care about you. They won't fight for Trump. You shouldn't fight for them. Do not vote. And we ran that. <laughs> we tried to run it. On, <laughs> we tried to run it on OAN. And here's what OAN did. Just so, you know, if anybody wants to try to mimic this strategy, <laughs> OAN took our money and sat on it and did not give us an answer on the ad and then never ran the ad and did not give us back the money for months after the fact. We ultimately got it back, but it was hard. And they specifically did it, I think, as sort of a catch and kill. Like, we're going to take yep. this and then they're going to be screwed and they're not going to be able to air it. We went to Newsmax. Newsmax was like, okay, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> and so we aired it on there and we aired it in pretty, like, heavy rotation heavy rotation yeah, on Newsmax because the <laughs> Newsmax airtime was actually pretty cheap and we hammered that home and I like to think that that had some sort of impact on people and I think that yeah. messaging of whether from us or just from it you know us making that messaging viral and spreading those clips of those people speaking out like that I think that did get a lot to a lot of pissed off Trump voters who were upset that Republicans weren't quote fighting for them and didn't yep. show up for that, you know, I think that may have helped just as much or more than even our positive yeah. ads about, you know, uh, about the two Senate candidates. So yeah. I think at the end of the day, I think you need to be creative about it. I think you need to be loud about it. I think you need to not be afraid to get in the mud, so to speak, as long as you're leading with integrity and you're not just, you know, calling people names and doing whatnot for no reason. But I think if there is truth behind your message, I think if you are honest and I think if you are unapologetic about that, I think 
voters across the spectrum, I think they do, you know, we spoke to the the Texan uh, the other day uh, who who went viral for calling out Greg Abbott for blocking the border yes, and went viral yes. on TikTok. We had him on our on the Midas Touch podcast. And he said, voters value strength was something mm-hmm. he said to us. And I agree. Yep. I agree. And I think that's what makes somebody like a Donald Trump popular. I think that's what makes someone like a Bernie Sanders popular. I think people like people who are unapologetic Mm. about their beliefs. You know, I I think that's things that resonate with people. So I think if we could just be loud, and I think that's why Tim Ryan resonates with people, you know, all these people Mm -hmm. have very different beliefs, but they are unapologetic about them and they speak their mind. Going back to the Michigan person today, I think all these people, what what kind of is a through line? Why are people fascinated by them? Because they're not afraid to speak their mind and tell the truth, or at least where they they're what they think is the truth and they're not afraid to speak loud about it and be proud about it. So I, I think that also helps cut through it. Cause when you have authenticity behind it, I think you are actually are able to grab persuadable people who may not be so inclined to hear you out, but might at least be like, you know what, that's a good person. You know, that person mm-hmm. is at least fighting for people and I can yeah. respect that. And we may not win over voters. Like Jordy said, we're never going to win over that 30%. We should right. never try. Uh, pro- perhaps my f- perhaps my least favorite comment that we'll get to one of our videos is this is a great video, but how's it reaching MAGA? I'm like, this video ain't for MAGA. So if you want a video that's reaching MAGA, go to a different website. Um, yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, like any anybody on that side gives a shit about what we think or how we feel, right? And Jordy, it seems like Democrats are always asking particularly black Americans, but, you know, generally people of color, generally young voters to to just wait, you know, we'll get there eventually, but you know, it's too controversial if I don't know what, like we stand up for civil rights. It, it drives me crazy because one, they're our base. And two, that seems pretty undemocratic. Right. So we need to, it seems, uh, we need to keep our eyes on who we are and and make people in our base, make it clear to people in our base that we have their backs, right? Absolutely. We have to let everyone know, like, we just can't assume that we're going to get a vote because they're from some sort of different demographic or, or specific, you know, person. You, you can't assume that you're going to get anybody's vote just because. You have to be out there every single day fighting for issues that influence and impact them and how they live in this country, no matter who they are. Right. So that's just got to be made known from Jump Street. And also, people, specifically politicians, I know it's maybe sound corny, but just be a real person. People yeah. like to hear from real people. You don't always have to put on your politician face. And, and look, I, I get why we've done that for, you know, hundreds of years. I, I get it. Right. But at the end of the day, when you're in somebody's backyard, having a conversation with one another, drinking a beer, and you're just, you know, talking about the democratic policies and what we're trying to accomplish and push forward overwhelmingly, no matter who they are, they agree with the democratic principles and policies. Right. Jordy, can I add on to that? Yeah, like, I just like look at like uh, you said, be a normal person, and I was just thinking like, <laughs> think about how freaking weird all these people are. Like they're just like the sh- they're the strangest cast of misfits on the planet, from Roger Stone to Bannon to Peter Navarro to John Eastman to Rudy Giuliani. To this- you have the Penguin, you have the Joker. <laughs> right, right. 
the bad guys, you have Venom. Like, they literally <laughs> took the bad guys and put them in as a political party. And the psychos singing Christian rock on a fucking plane. I mean, yeah. and seriously. So what can them. happen, though, is you could look at all these crazy people. You could look at all the Steve Bannon clips, the Peter Navarro psychoticness, Rudy Giuliani with duty dripping down his face. You could look at all this stuff and you could go, Poli- this politics shit, that's too crazy for me. So to speak. It, you know, yeah, this politics shit that's dripping down Rudy's cheek, it's a little too crazy for me. Or you could be like, you know what? We can't let these people be in charge. Let's organize. Right. Let's activate. Let's get out there. Let's do this. And I think part of the kind of twisted strategy, whether it's by design or not, and I think it probably is a little bit by design, is to in- inject so much craziness into the discourse that the normal average voter doesn't even want anything to do with it. They just want to be like, nope, I'm not, not going to be a part of this. And there was a clip that was going around the internet the other day um, where I was thinking it was a crazy woman who was like an actual Nazi yelling at somebody in front of Disneyland, Mm -hmm. calling them a pedophile or a Mm -hmm. groomer. And it was this like incessant back and forth, you know, which is like, it was like Twitter come to life between Mm -hmm. MAGA Twitter and, you you know, left, left wing Twitter. And what I kind of noticed was, you know, that's happening, you know, and that's where our focus of attention is in this video. But let's look at all the cars that are passing behind these people. Let's look at all the people going around their lives, not injecting themselves in the midst of this fight, right? The people who actually are not the focus of the video, they are actually the people who we need to be speaking to. And they are the people who, when they see this video later on on their Twitter feed, they might just be like, well, I'm not, well, this, this politics yeah. thing and why is this, how is this helping people? How is this doing yeah. anything for people? And so I think we need to just really do, you know, and I don't have all the answers, obviously, if I did, you know, I'd probably be a very rich guy or something, <laughs> but, 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 but we got to figure out how to reach those people and the people who are in the background driving, worrying about their day, worrying, Hey, where's my next paycheck going to come from? Mm-hmm. Where am I going to get my next meal from? How am I going to feed my kids? How am I going to send my kids to college? If something goes wrong with my health, how am I going to pay for that? And I think we need to really be just letting these people know why democratic policies are the policies that A, are helping them now, B, that Republicans are the ones that are trying to take away those policies, and C, show them all that at least the efforts that Democrats are going through in the House and just with their messaging to tell people, hey, these are the things that we want to do to help you. Now, this this is what was blocked. Hey, look, we just passed the $35 cap for insulin. Right. Half the price, you know, why is it going to pass? Oh, Republicans refuse to pass this in the Senate. This is a standalone bill. There's nothing else in it. There's no excuse for this, but they refuse because they want you to suffer rather than help you and give us a win. And I think we need to be loud about that. We need to be vocal about that. And I know it's a cliche that people might, you know, scoff that, but we need to care about those kitchen table issues, the ones that are really affecting people on a day-to-day grind. And that's Absolutely. why we can't ignore inflation. We can't ignore gas prices. We can't ignore the cost of drug prices. We can't ignore this stuff. We have to speak to them. And like I said earlier, we have to own the narrative on them. Um, I literally could talk to you guys forever. I, I really hope there's so much going on. I hope to have you back. We're live now. I have to go plug my my computer. Apparently, isn't plugged in, so I have to go plug my computer in. But while I'm doing that, Ben, let everybody know where we can find you and what you guys are up to. And I will be right back. Sounds good. You can find us on all of your social media platforms by searching Midas Touch. Midas Touch on Twitter, M E I D A S T O U C H on Twitter. 
on YouTube, check out the Midas Touch channel. Make sure you subscribe on YouTube. Make sure you listen to the Midas Touch podcast. So wherever you get your podcasts, as soon as this is done, search for the Midas Touch podcast. Search for Legal AF podcast. Search for the Kremlin File podcast. Search for Politics Girl podcast. So those are the podcasts on our network there. And then if you want to get Midas Touch merch, go to store dot Midas touch.com at store dot Midas touch.com. We got the bumper stickers. We got the t-shirts. We got some cool wristbands. We got a bunch of great stuff there. Um, and look forward, Mary, to working with you more. I hope you'll Absolutely. come back on our pod. And it's really an honor to be just to even be invited on this podcast is something that I would look forward to for a really long time and to see what you and Politicon have built, you know, with this podcast platform. Um, it's, it's really great. You know, and I, I want to address one thing. So I saw in one of the comments, I won't call the person out by name. They said, you'll never change, you know, the way the media landscape is. And I've never approached these things as you never can do it. Um, if you told me that we'd be able to create the platform that we have now created in two years, you know, we've always remained optimistic and positive and we've never said that never is a possibility the same way that the Murdochs have injected it as a family, you know, that they've injected this evil into the world, you know, but they've been able to do it. You have to start somewhere. And so we are hoping that we've created the foundation to make this change. I'll say this on the digital landscape, we compete toe to toe with any major media, you know, for views, for downloads, for plays, you know, we consistently, you know, will win that. We don't have a cable news network yet. We don't have an over-the-top you know, distribution yet, but we're going to fight for that each and every day. And I think, Mary, your platform, what Politicon has, what Midas Media Network is building, we can truly be the media that changes this whole dynamic. And that's what we fight for each and every day. I truly believe that's a possibility. Yeah, and um, I, I just want to give a shout-out to my kitten who uh, <laughs> unplugged my computer earlier. I didn't even know. Blame the um, kitten, Mary. She's, Blame no, the- she's precocious. It's okay. <laughs> um, but I, I promise that Jordy would have last word and he will. But uh, along those lines, but I want it, I just want to say that um, I have a uh, Substack, a newsletter. And every week I have a column called get the fascists off the list. And I look at who's dominating Facebook posts, uh, Amazon bestseller list, New York Times bestseller list, Substack, and every week it is just so depressing. Um, it's always like on Substack, like eight out of the top ten are people like Glenn, Glenn Greenwald, Barry Weiss. I mean, just the worst people. Uh, same thing on Facebook. It's Ben Shapiro, Dan Bongino, Franklin Graham, Bill Maher. Uh, on and on. I just, they dominate. So um, that's why I really do believe that, you know, our ba- our best path forward is just to, you know, link arms yeah. mm-hmm. and, um, you know, just not, not look away. Uh, and that is what you guys, you guys don't pull punches. Um, and uh, before before I continue my encomiums, I, I just want to make sure, Jordy, that you and I are still on the same page. Absolutely. Who is 
the stupidest. <laughs> it's Don Jr. Thank you very much. Okay. <laughs> All right. Good. We're still on the same page. But seriously, guys, your work inspires me. Um, it it's so important. It's so necessary. And, you know, it's, it's hard to be positive all the time. Um, but you know, when I, when I feel, uh, isolated, you know, COVID still thing and whatever, when it feels like the Republicans are getting away with everything, I just remember that there are people like you in the world that, that we're allies and it, it means so much to me. So thank you so much for being here. And, um, we will definitely have to have you on again. Thanks so much for having us, Mary. Really Thank appreciate you, Mary. it. All right. Take care. Bye, guys. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Mary Trump Show Strategy Sessions with me, Mary Trump, and my brilliant guests, Ben Brett and Jordy Micellis of The Midas Touch. Make sure, please, that you join me this coming Thursday live on YouTube at 7 p.m. Eastern, uh, 4 o'clock Pacific, for the next episode of The Mary Trump Show. And then next Tuesday, we'll have our next strategy session at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 o'clock Pacific. Uh, so don't forget, you can find the show at uh, youtube.com slash Politicon, or check for the link in our show notes uh, to get to the live stream. Also, please follow Politicon and like the episode. Also, be sure, I always put up the wrong hand, be sure to ring the bell. Uh, that way you will be notified whenever a new episode becomes available. You can also follow The Mary Trump Show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And please give us a five-star rating because it really, really helps people find the show. So thank you again for being here. Uh, it means so much. We will see you next week. Stay safe and be kind. <laughs>